Alex Marlowe, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. And on today's show, we begin with a breakdown of the Inflation Reduction Act, which everyone pretty much admits doesn't actually reduce inflation. In our increasingly Orwellian world, this branding is pretty unsurprising. It's a big victory for Biden, relatively speaking, which might cause a headache for the media left-wingers who want to see Joe put out to pasture. The other big stories we cover is Israel smoking the Iranian-backed Palestinian Islamic Jihad over the weekend, and Governor Abbott dropping off a bunch of illegal aliens in New York City, and hilarity ensues. We also get into a bunch more headlines, including a woke update and a monkeypox update. Before we speak to Francis Martel, Breitbart News' world editor, who updates us on the fallout from Nancy Pelosi's Taiwan visit, which both of us agree was probably a good thing to do, but ultimately, who knows what it will mean. And then we get her take on a new Fidel Castro movie that's coming out. All that to come on the show. Let's get into it. with the biggest victory of Joe Biden's presidency. Unfortunately, probably true uh, legislatively, Senate passing a $700 billion inflation reduction bill, which uh, I think pretty much everyone acknowledges at this point is not going to reduce inflation. Uh, A quick example of that is, uh, let's play cut five. This is ABC's George Stephanopoulos asking Senator Chris Coons if it's fair to call it the Inflation Reduction Act. Cut five. You call the bill the Inflation Reduction Act, but the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office says the bill is going to have a negligible effect on inflation this year, barely any impact in 2023 between 0.1 percent lower and 0.1 percent higher. So is it really fair to call it the Inflation Reduction Act? Yes, it is, George. This is going to reduce the costs that hit American families in their pocketbook. This is the exact type of stuff that people detest about Washington. Um, The Inflation Reduction Act, if the CBO score is accurate, will raise inflation for the next five years and then will decrease it thereafter. But how many of you are concerned about inflation five years from now Uh, when there's a very good chance Joe Biden won't be president and won't have been president for, you know, half of that time? And whoever is next could either beef this up or strip it down. It's a joke. It's a total joke. Uh, This is a stripped down version of Build Back Better. They cut a deal that Joe Manchin and a Christian cinema would like. So thus it it passed along uh, party lines with Kamala Harris breaking the tie 51 to 50. I will say, and I have to say it, I know this will annoy uh, the crap out of some of you, and I try not to annoy you at least three minutes into the show. I, I try to wait, but this is why elections matter, and everyone who pouted about Georgia and decided that Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff, who's maybe the worst senator right now is John Ossoff, decided that it was good to give those guys the seats because you were upset about Brad Raffensperger or whatever. Um, in the in the runoffs in Georgia, that that this is what you get for it. Unfortunately, uh, only those people on the Republican side who decided it was good to support socialist Democrats in Georgia by withholding your votes um, and not taking those Georgia runoffs seriously are to blame for this. That's it. That's it. I mean, there's nothing else. So if you were part of that group, or you know someone who was, or you like some politician who was, then just know that that's why this this bill passed. 
Um, it is a reality that is not a pleasure to note, but it is a reality. So uh, there's there's no crying in baseball, as Tom Hanks once said in a movie. So and that's what we did. We cried in baseball and and uh, let the socialists take two more seats. Um, I say John Ossoff might be the worst senator because someone tracked that he is on a matrix of leadership and left right voting spectrum uh, record that he is the worst if you. Uh, if you put it on a matrix of a combination of who has no leadership and who is the furthest left, if you use both of those as a as a metric combined, then he's the worst. So um, that's part of why I love Rian Paul so much, even though I don't know if Rian Paul you know votes for me any better than let's say Senator Haggerty or Senator Blackburn, uh, who you know are you know terrific senators and vote le- correct like a hundred percent of the time. Uh, Rian Paul does not vote right 100% of the time, in my opinion, but he's got terrific leadership ability, which is part of why I find him really interesting. So uh, that's why that, that's kind of the, the Senate, you know, 100 people supposed to be leaders. Um, but this is uh, upsetting. It's upsetting that this is through. But let's hear about what's in this $700 trillion Build Back Better adjacent uh, spending bill. Well, uh, Jim Banks has laid out a lot of it. He is the Republican Study Committee um, chair. And here's some of the highlights or lowlights. The bill gives away green energy. Uh, it's, a give, it's a green energy giveaway to China, and it will increase our reliance on China. Uh, this was a massive topic of conversation for us on Friday, um, focusing on how automakers, uh, as well as Democrat politicians, are pushing for electric vehicle tax credits for China-sourced batteries. So our batteries are now, we're going to be buying a bunch of batteries for uh, cars, even ones that are made in America, uh, for, uh, from China. And even the automakers are in on it because, you know, automaking is a very hard business. And this will allow for them to reduce their bottom line a lot at the expense of American workers, American, um, uh, and, and Americans who want jobs here in the United States. That we're just going to be shipping all those over to China more so than we already do. Um, and just note that every time we do this, China is basically bankrolling Russia in the war in Ukraine also. So every time right now we're loading up China, it's a double whammy. We're loading up, we're not just loading up China, we're loading up Putin. So it, it is everything that is done that gets, pads the coffers of the CCP and makes it so that China continues to be the hub of manufacturing of the planet is a double whammy we are doing it is it's arguably in fact i would argue it is immoral is immoral to do this but the bill significantly revives criteria for which vehicles are eligible for a tax credit in a manner that is consistent with economic nationalist goals john carney wrote for us at uh, breitbart news so that's number one not off to a good start. Legislation increases taxes just as the country enters a recession. So the Democrats had a middle class tax cut um, the, that was being debated. And this came down to the last minute and they ultimately would not block it. So just be prepared for the, the tax hike to take place for the middle class. Um, and this follows with, I think, 87,000 is going to be the final number of additional IRS agents who are going to be hired. Now, uh, 87,000 IRS agents, what do you think they're going to be doing? Do you think they're going to be making your lives easier or more difficult? Um, did I do something that is so stupid? How could I be so stupid? 
I have my cut sheet. I think I deleted it. Zach, could you send me the cut sheet again? It's very exasperating when I feel like a, a, a very dumb person. Very dumb person I would do this. I have a cut that corresponds to this, and now I'm yelling at myself on the air. So, Zach, if you could send me that again, that'd be very helpful. Um, but the, the you know, what's the one about, do you have the cut in front of you about the IRS agents? Can you understand how 87,000 new IRS agents would scare the heck out of millions of Americans? Millions of Americans aren't going to be impacted by that other than getting better service from the IRS, having their telephone answered, getting the questions they need in order to comply with our tax laws. The auditing is going to be focused on those of high income, the large corporations, etc. So uh, there's no reason to be fearful. And if you have paid your taxes and if you comply with our laws, you should want to make sure everyone else does that. Uh, this is just such such baloney. That's Democrat Senator Ben Cardin, an excellent producing Zach. So I got I got the new cut sheet, and he knew the cut I wanted without even me calling for it. That's good stuff. That's the A game that you bring to Breitbart News Daily every morning. All right. So uh, the, the point of this is that our tax code is unnecessarily complicated, and it's unnecessarily complicated so the government can figure out ways to to. Uh, turn Americans upside down by their ankles and shake us until every penny falls out of our pockets when they so choose. That's part of the reason why the code is written the way it is. Just know the IRS eventually susses out exactly how much you uh, you owe them. And if you did not pay enough, then they will come back a year or two later and tell you you owe us more. But instead, we all stress ourselves out trying to figure out if we're paying the right amount. Uh, We pay accountants and tax attorneys and financial advisors and all sorts of people to help us depending on where you are in the income bracket uh, to make sure that we're paying the right amount relative to government laws and making sure we're not overpaying because that hurts ourselves but also paying pretty much what the government thinks that we're going to owe them and what are these eighty-seven thousand new agents are going to do they're going to harass law-abiding americans to make sure that we they squeeze every last little penny out of them so if you're a rich person, then when you see this, then you hire more tax attorneys, you hire more financial planners, you hire more people who are accountants for you to make sure you're in compliance. You waste some more money there, but then you get away with it, basically. Minor inconvenience. But for people who are middle class and can't just you know hire a bunch more people to make sure that you've uh, n- nailed your... Uh, that you've done the best you can in terms of using the tax code to work for you, the unnecessarily complicated tax code, where the government won't just tell you what you owe it, where you have to figure it out yourself in the ridiculous way we've set this up in this country, then they're going to harass you and they're going to scare you and then they're going to get you to pay more and maybe if you don't even know it. So, of course, it's government-funded harassment and that's a key part of this bill. But the Democrats who love their tax confiscation, they're cool with it. So it gets in. And um, uh, it's a, there's no reason to be fearful if you paid your taxes. It's a, a, how many of you have never been delinquent on one penny of taxes who are upset about this number? I'm in that group. Never underpaid uh, one time, always overpay, and make sure I'm 100% above board it does make a difference. Still, I'm thinking, well, I mean, Breitbart editor, there's going to be some extra uh, audits going around. What about a flashback to the Lois Lerner stuff where she was literally using 
her, uh, who was literally using her perch during the Obama administration to use the tax code to harass people with whom she disagreed politically. I think they'll go up or down now with 87,000 new agents. Ugh. All right, so that's a, that's a couple of the key provisions. And there's 50 or so the banks laid out. We have some more highlights at Breitbart. Um, bill contains gimmicks and fake offsets to mask the cost of the bill, which accounted for these budget tricks. The alleged deficit reduction bill will add $114 billion in debt over the next 10 years. So it's going to be reducing inflation by increasing the debt. Good luck with that as well. Um, let's see. Socialist price control regime, according to banks, aiming to lower drug prices. Now, drug prices, it's another one of those things where it's a mess. No one has any good answers to it, which is a problem for both sides. Um, this is how Obamacare got as big as it got. It's because Republicans never really did a great job coming up with an alternative. Paul Ryan had one, I guess, but none of you could tell me what it was, and he certainly didn't sell it effectively. Um, and they tried that for so many years, tried to implement that, including during the Trump years, that failed. Obamacare expansion, environmental justice, solar and wind capacity limitation program. Um, this is part of the environmental justice agenda that got through. There's a, Banks noted some specifics like $8.5 billion to further environmental justice and agriculture. That sounds efficient during the middle of an of inflationary period. $3 billion for the Department of Transportation to undertake projects to address racism and infrastructure. So Buttigieg is going to get $3 billion to undertake projects in racism and infrastructure. Manchin voted for this. Cinema voted for this. Those of you who think you can trust some Democrats, you can't. John Tester voted for this. Both of the uh, uh, Democrats in Virginia voted for this. All these people who are not uh, awful on every single vote, just know they all support all this stuff to give Big Joey a win. $5 billion to support the already $250 billion in the Department of Energy's loan guarantees and loan refinancing for green energy infrastructure and remediation activities program. We're just scratching the surface of this. Let me say this, and I want to be crystal clear on this. I believe that we will lose the republic if we continue to pass these omnibus half a trillion, trillion dollar, two trillion dollar spending packages. We will lose the republic. We cannot sustain ourselves doing this. This is where you get one idea that you need to sell to the public that's popular enough to get it through. And then you start like a Christmas tree adding ornaments. And these ornaments are all various pieces of baloney that each senator or congressperson will support to buy their vote with your taxpayer dollars, and so often dollars that you're never even going to earn because now we've already borrowed ourselves into oblivion. We cannot continue to do this. This is the thing I've taken the most seriously uh, since I got to Washington nine or so years ago. The thing that dawned on me when I got here was we cannot do this and we still keep doing it. You can't pass a trillion dollars of crap at a time and not sneak in a bunch of stuff that's going to lead to inflation, that's going to lead to massive debt, dependence on China, places like that. It will make the economy seem like we're in a desperate spot and thus we have to make compromises with our principles to enrich places like communist China. And we can't focus on uh, what is going to be best for America in the middle to long term. We have to focus on what will alleviate some of the moment to moment stresses now. And what is going to do that is going to be more often more of this spending. 
one of the easiest ways to give the economy some juice is just to pump some money into it in very various different ways. And just know that if you're in West Virginia, you're going to have some requests. And if you're a left wing around California, you're going to have some requests. And then all these people start making their requests. And then all of a sudden, you get a $700 billion bill called the Inflation Reduction Act that becomes indistinguishable from a Biden's bill back better, just, you know, a third smaller. Not good. Really bad, actually. And just to give you a sense of this, um, people were pointing out online that John Kennedy pointed out, the senator from Louisiana, that Manchin and Mark Kelly wrote to President Biden, we're writing to urge you to develop and implement a new five-year program for oil and gas production in the Gulf of Mexico without delay. My amendment would fulfill that request and make it a congressional directive. So a flash forward, that was March, to this weekend. Mark Kelly and Joe Manchin wrote to Biden in March asking him for a plan for oil and gas in the Gulf of Mexico, and he ignored it. Senator Kennedy proposed an amendment last night requiring the Biden administration to comply with Kelly and Manchin's request, and Kelly voted against it, according to Matt Whitlock, who is a Republican communicator. So Kelly voted against his own, somehow, there was some trading that was done where his own amendment on oil and gas voted against it. Just shows you how corrupt this all is. And even a guy like Mark Kelly, who's had a storied career and as an astronaut and you know went through a lot of personal tragedy and has a backstory that's somewhat likable, is not a trustworthy politician and needs to be voted out. You guys almost never hear me come in and say how great the Republicans are. Almost never. And but you will hear me say uh, over and over again how you cannot you can you cannot support Democrats. You can't do it. They get stuff wrong every time. Um, John Carney had a piece over the weekend that is worth noting. He's their economic and finance editor. That the huge jobs data on Friday, uh, which was covered on Friday's broadcast with John and Jerome that will fuel more inflation and crush productivity in his prediction as well. Because there's too many jobs coming in, um, shows the labor market is not cooling off. This means the Fed is going to uh, hike rates some more. And obviously it's good news that Americans have jobs and the unemployment rate is low. That's not a bad thing in general. But considering we're in an inflationary environment, um, it, it is, it is still going to mean that the inflationary, uh, that, that it means that, that there's going to be huge increases in interest rates. And that does make things difficult in a lot of ways. Ability to make some major purchases are going to go down for a lot of people, which does have a lot of downstream effects economically. So it's not all purely good news to have a, uh, a low jobs or a, a low unemployment rate at this time. So it's mostly good news, but it is still, it does mean it's going to fast forward rate hikes. So look forward to that as well. Um, all right. And this is partially why Americans are maintaining a sour view of Biden's economy, despite the, a lot of the media spin over the weekend. The Because uh, Biden's now done with COVID. AP hyping up that he is legacy defining wins, which is kind of true. It is kind of true. Beats COVID, gets a big bill passed. 
But of course, he did it in a purely partisan way. Recall, one of Biden's core promises was he was going to unify the country. Yet another signature win, which involves no one across the aisle. But again, it's a big, it's big. If he gets this stuff through, gets a big bill for himself. Um, but still, Americans are not buying the economies in good shape despite the super low unemployment number, which is amazing to watch Democrats spin it online and people just not care. If you guys follow a lot of Democrat politicians, et cetera, online trying to act like the unemployment rate is so good, but most people are more focused on the fact that they're, they you know, can't pay down their credit cards because um, prices are going up and then we're going to start seeing rates go up. We already are. So there's a lot of Democrats who doubt he's still the guy for 2024, but I do think he definitely moved closer to solidifying power for him to run again. But you're starting to see some pushback from the left or you continue to see it. Like over the weekend, CNN's Brian Stelter now is all on board with the Hunter Biden coverage. It's kind of odd to see. I'm fine with it. It's just kind of odd to watch it. CNN now all of a sudden doesn't... Recall, they said it was a... Breitbart, Fox News, New York Post rabbit hole, the Hunter Biden laptop. And now, uh, years later, their media show is saying that it's a legit problem. Um, But Republicans lead on a generic congressional ballot in the Rasmussen poll is down to three points. This is something that bears repeating, and I will say it quickly now, but we will say it over and over again over the next few months. The, The map right now is not good for Republicans in the Senate. The, they have a lot of seats to defend, and there's a lot of swing votes that really could go either way. And so you cannot get cocky about the Senate if you're someone who supports Republicans. And in the House, that you know there is not a 50-50 shot, Democrats starting ahead. So even though it's almost certain the Republicans are going to pick up seats, how many will they pick up? And right now, they've got, you would think, with the red wave and all this discussion, you'd be thinking, uh, well, it's going to be a blowout, right? Well, maybe it's a three-point lead. Now, this poll, typically, you're going to see Democrats with a slight advantage just because there's a Democrat voter registration gap in the country. But if Rasmussen is suggesting it's as low as a 3% lead for Republicans at this point, despite all the bad stuff that's happened under Biden's watch, uh, it is a just a reminder, you got to get 10,000 people registered to vote. And we're closing in. We're well within 100 days uh, out to the election. And inexcusable to watch what's going on in the country and not commit yourself to getting people uh, ready to go to the polls. And not say Republicans are that great, but they are the alternative at this point to the Democrats. Um, one political thing I'll bring up, Trump easily won the CPAC straw poll in Dallas. It kind of fits with my narrative. It seems like he's basically unopposed at this point uh, if he wants to run for reelection in 2024. And at this point, it looks like he does 69% of the vote. I mean, it's a massive number. And um, not to say the CPAC straw poll means everything, but just these numbers are just, are just so big. And you guys have heard my take. Uh, I'm, I'm fine with President Trump, he runs again, but it would be nice to see a primary where there's some ideas that are pushed around and we can discuss things that would be great. Uh, but I don't know if we're going to get it. If we keep seeing numbers like this, could just be could just be sort of like a like a concession, which I don't know. When was the last time we had that? I guess you have it sometimes when you've got an incumbent. I guess it'll be more similar to that. But th- that'll be a shame from a I think a the theater of the mind ideas perspective. It's nice to have ideas go back and forth. But, uh, you know, Trump is giving speeches. He went over the weekend at CPAC in Texas. 
and um, some of it is was pretty good. Um, a lot of it's his greatest hits, but he did a pretty good riff on the January the sixth hearings. Tempted to play this, um, but I'm not going to. I'm going to hold back. I will, we'll, we'll play this later, but it is on the on the live show. Um, it was pretty good, and you know he's got uh, he's got a lot of the right ideas. Let's just see if uh, he gets in if he executes them. Um, so over the weekend, uh, Gaza terror groups backed by Hamas started firing on Israel again. And as of now, uh, hopefully you're somewhat up on this, those of you who are paying attention to the news, some degree. But they've been fighting for the last 48 hours. It kicked in late on Friday. As of now, Joe Pollock's been updating us as well as our uh, Breitbart Jerusalem Bureau. And at Breitbart.com, we'll have all the latest for you. But after 48 hours of uh, fighting, Israel has had a decisively beating Iranian-backed Palestinian uh, jihadists. Um, it is a group called the Palestinian Islamic Jihad, the PIJ terror group. They've been planning attacks on Israel uh, on uh, uh, on Friday, and the, Israel had arrested a senior one of their leaders last week because they knew they were preparing a attack at the Gaza border in communities, uh, and Israel was prepared to launch airstrikes back, and then they exchanged some fire, hundreds of rockets aimed at civilians in Israel for fired on Friday. And about 600 in total, including a Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, 220 managed to fly toward civilian population centers, according to Joel's reporting. And 97% of those were intercepted by the Iron Dome system, which is really quite, quite a marvel. Um, and Israel fired back on the PIJ targets in Gaza, and those have apparently been highly successful. So that's where we're at there. The story of one of the stories of the weekend, which was just unbelievable, dark, uh, horrific, but almost with a humorous note to it. But I don't want to say that because a lot of people died in it. But a Gaza terror group uh, misfired and it landed on the uh, House of Palestinians and Palestinians were killed, though, which is why it's not really funny. I mean, I'm upsetting that they died. Needless to say, but they're they they're misfiring, and then they hit a Palestinian house. But then they blamed Israel for it. So that's that's the part where it was like you almost had to chuckle at it. Though of course, a fire killing your own civilians, even if they're Palestinians, absolutely horrible. But then to blame Israel when you fired your rocket in a stupid way that didn't work. Uh, so we'll the latest for you at Breitbart. We'll also talk to our guests about it coming up. Um, other items, Democrats are blocking, uh, have blocked a plan to require Biden to keep Title 42 at the southern border, which is interesting now because now the Democrats are unsure if they like the open border. See Muriel Bowser calling the National Guard in D.C., which might not have actually happened. She might have just said she did that. Clearly, New York City is frustrated with buses of single, mostly adult men set by, sent by Texas Governor Abbott arriving in New York City. Uh, I, I'm underplaying this to a small degree because I don't really have much to add beyond the point I'm about to add. Governor Abbott's busing illegal aliens across the country is one of the greatest things I've seen in American politics. It's that good. It is that good. 
Um, Emma Jo Morris went out there for us at Breitbart News to w one of the bus stations at Port Authority, New York, and she's going to have multiple stories on it. But her first one that she wrote up with John Binder is just uh, beyond belief. The footage is incredible. People coming off the bus sent by Texas uh, Governor Abbott, and they, they don't have a plan. They don't really know what they're doing. Most of them are young men, and now they're in New York City. And why should you only have illegal immigration into places like Texas? California has better control over the border than uh, Texas for some obvious reasons, even though, they, of course, they have a lot of legal aliens. And Arizona is the terrain is a little um, uh, makes it so that there's a, a, a lot lower number than what's coming into Texas. So the Democrats can't stop high fiving when the illegal aliens are coming into red Texas, perhaps over time turning it purple, maybe even blue. Um, but if you bust them to New York City, no, no, what, all of a sudden, hey, I'm not sure if we can absorb all that. Can't handle that. In, in uh, D.C., we need the National Guard. Tulsi Gabbard had a good point about Kamala Harris on Fox over the weekend, suggesting that her she's hypocritical because she wants Brittany Griner back, the pothead WNBA player who broke pot laws in Russia and is now stuck there. Um, because Kamala was prosecuting people for marijuana crimes in California. This is the thing that's surreal about this, and I know this developed since I was on the broadcast last on Thursday, but the effort that's going to be made, perhaps trading a Russian warlord for Brittany Griner, who doesn't like this country, first of all, she's an anthem dealer, and broke laws overseas, which was very dumb. But we have people in jail for pot in the United States. And we're going to trade a Russian warlord to get her out of jail for pot in Russia, probably. Uh, you can draw your own conclusions there. And, uh, you know, for the record, we should try to get her back if we can. But it is, uh, and if she was LeBron, she would be back by now. But it must be surreal to read this story if you were in prison for a pot-related crime in America. That, uh, that we're considering trading a warlord to get her back for breaking pot laws elsewhere. And Kamala Harris is into it. Um, Nancy Pelosi was getting uh, trashed for a comment she made about China. I think this is the right one. Cut one. Let's play this. When I was a little girl, I was told at the beach, if I dug a hole deep enough, we would reach China. So we've always felt a con connection there. Play that again, because this is real life. This was really said by the Speaker of our House of Representatives. When I was a little girl... I was told at the beach, if I dug a hole deep enough, we would reach China. So we've always felt a con connection there. If you decide that you want to stay home and you are typically someone who might vote Republican, even if you don't have a great representative in your area and there's some bad ones, um, then just know that this person will be Speaker of the House yet again. So it's up to you. you can, she can retire and she can go work on her portfolio or she can continue to be Speaker of the House. It is up to you. Fully up to you, this is in the United States of America. If I, was, uh, if I dug a hole deep enough, I could get to China, and that's what uh, inspired her to be able to have a deep connection where she's a massive portfolio tied to China. But hey, she showed up in Taiwan. What was the effect of that, by the way? Has that changed anything? Anything, anything different now? All right, there's a bunch more good stuff, but I'm running super long, so I'll do a couple quick ones. North Carolina's added AR-15s to schools and classrooms for self-defense. 
uh, red states will continue to get smarter and blue states will continue to get stupider. That, that is just the nature of our uh, federalist system. So note where you live accordingly. Indiana is the first state to pass a near total abortion ban since Roe versus Wade was overturned. Uh, U.S. bishops have blasted Joe Biden uh, for an executive order facilitating abortion, but they won't withhold communion from him. So this is where what frustrates me about the Catholic Church, among a million other things. Um, but it's the they, they scold Biden, but they won't do anything to really make a statement that he's not behaving like a real Catholic. He had a big executive order to try to streamline abortions on a federal level. Uh, we'll see if that holds up under scrutiny, but it's a the the Catholics are upset about it, but we don't know what to do about it. And I say this as a Catholic. A, a Florida school board member was bragging about members being woke. We're working from the inside. They literally confirm everything that we've been saying on the show that we were told for years was a conspiracy that the woke crowd is working to indoctrinate your kids from from within the school system. Of course, is what they're doing. And a Sarasota school board vice chair, Tom Edwards proudly bragged that the woke are working from the inside and he used the word woke, not ironically, apparently, to indoctrinate children. That was what he bragged about. Um, and then one more woke update for you. Semi-woke up, it woke adjacent monkeypox, which is there's one drug to get it and you cannot get it according to, I think this New York Times report I'm looking at. And this is something that we talked about a lot on the show uh, prior to the latest monkeypox news cycle that it was getting bad and people who had it and were concerned about getting it were having a hard time locating treatments for it and uh, again this is from the administration that was going to shut down the virus one of other uh, biden's key plans and not shut down monkeypox per se but we were told that donald trump was incompetent to handle endemics and pandemics and joe biden was the one who was going to solve it and we have a new one that's going on and it is for t- it is affecting a community in particular the gay community that votes a lot for Democrats and Biden wasn't there for them. Did not figure it out, has not figured it out. And stressed out STD clinics are struggling to handle the surge of monkeypox patients. No kidding. Um, I will say though, of course, you gotta take some personal responsibility here. There's uh, no obligation to engage in behaviors for gonna get monkeypox. Goes without saying. But that said, if you're gonna engage in the behavior, then uh, it should be a relief to you. You have the shut down the virus guy in charge but apparently not. World Editor of Breitbart News is Frances Martel, who, for most of you, needs no introduction because she's one of our most requested guests and always does a terrific job reporting on the world for us. Let's hear the interview. Frances, great to talk with you. Um, I, I want to get your thoughts on how the world is so different now that Nancy Pelosi went to Taiwan. I, I assume everything <laughs> has changed, right? Yeah, no, it's a whole new world. Um, everything you knew about geopolitics has been uh, obliterated. <laughs> Um, no, it's, it, you know, it changed nothing except the Chinese are more openly angry than they were a week before. But they're doing exactly what they were doing, um, just louder. Right. So, but this is a, this is a big point, and I'm making it tongue-in-cheek. And uh, again, I was happy she went. Uh, why not? But still, overall, it became pretty clear that she w- was... It was there was nothing that was really going to happen from this. So one thing that did happen, though, is China shot some rockets, I guess, into the ocean. I mean, was that something you were really intimidated by? Were we on the brink of world war all of a sudden? (laughs) No, I mean, 
mean, you know, if I was Taiwanese, maybe my opinion would be a little different um, because it happened right near Taiwan. But, um, you know, it's basically reduced China to a North Korea-style military temper tantrum where they're just shooting things into the ocean aimlessly in an attempt to scare people. And it's, you know, I, I don't want to be too glib about it because one wrong move, you know, one fishing vessel is in the wrong place at the wrong time, and you could have a world war. I, I don't mean to dismiss that possibility. Yeah, but, good call. Um, the, but the Chinese are going out of their way kind of to not cause this and to just get as close as possible, which, again, is the North Korea method, right, to get as close as possible to irritating everyone and scaring everyone into agreeing with their worldview but not doing anything that actually takes any courage. Yeah, this is a uh, this is a, the point I'm trying to figure out is that we all would like to see China held at bay and see some sort of uh, strategic maneuvers to make life more difficult for China. But I, first of all, I don't know if it did if this accomplished that goal. And second of all, I'm not sure what the goal was in general. Though again, I welcome it. It's better than her not going, in my opinion. I, I just don't. I don't quite see the logic of it beyond a news cycle for Nancy Pelosi, where we talk about Nancy Pelosi. Um, that's a big part of it. I think a big part of it was also to undermine Biden. Um, I yes, think Biden yes. looks extremely weak. I think the Democrats want him to look weak, um, and that's part of it. And I think, to be fair, he deserves to look weak because he's supposed to be the leader of the free world. He's not supposed to be intimidated by the Chinese Communist Party and its you know, feeble economy. And yet here we are. You know, It takes the Speaker of the House to go and uh, basically state without stating the obvious, which is that Taiwan is a country and deserves our support. Um, and Biden's not there. He's completely MIA. The president of the United States has nothing to do with the most important geopolitical event of the past week. Um, so I think that was a big part of the goal. Um, but I'm with you. I think it was great. I really applaud Pelosi for it because all she did was expose, you know, who is on whose side here. Um, and definitely with Biden, that, that raises a lot of questions. Um, so I'm, I'm very not in the boat of attacking Pelosi for this. I think it was a good move, even though it didn't really, like you said, accomplish any tangible changes in American foreign policy or anything like that. Oh, by the way, if I was sure I would have gone, uh, I compliment her for going. I have nothing negative to say to her about going. I think it was clever politically. I think it was at least somewhat meaningful geopolitically, uh, uh, politically for her. It, it, I, but I just wish it turned into something more, and unfortunately, I don't think it's going to. But what I will say, what I will say is that I'm curious about the undermining of Biden because it seems to be a part of a schizophrenic media cycle that we're in that's come up a couple of times in the show already today where it seems like half the media is really trying to step on the gas to kick Biden out and half of the media has announced Biden's back baby and he's uh, <laughs> racking up victories he's beaten COVID he's passed uh, he's passed a huge piece of legislation and everything's going great and uh, again we, we never talk about China or the Middle East and any of this we just talk about you know how much left wing stuff he can get the other Democrats to agree to uh, and that's that's basically it. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with all of that. Um, and it's interesting that, you know, they're split on what the strategy is because they're trying to, I, I think everyone acknowledges on both sides of the aisle that Biden is just a political non-starter. Everyone hates him. He's, he rallies no one to his cause. 
Um, but at the same time, how do you get rid of the, how do you strengthen the, the Democrats with, while simultaneously toppling the leader of the Democrats, the face yes. of the party? Um, so they're trying to not to tarnish the brand, but to get him out of there. And it's a very difficult situation for them to be in. And like you said, the foreign policy angle, that is, you know, as much as struggling to find baby formula and paying for gas and all of the domestic issues are bad, um, Biden's foreign policy legacy is going to be the worst thing on his record. Um, you know, August 15th is coming up. It's the anniversary of the Taliban taking over Afghanistan. Um, and they, you know, I, I don't, I suspect that the timing of passing this giant bill is not um, a coincidence that it's going to try to come just as the Afghan anniversary is coming, because I think that was a moment where Americans really looked at that sad situation and said, you know, this is this is a disaster. Like we we cannot be led by this man. This is horrible. Um, and they're going to have to relive that entire news cycle in a week. So it's going to be very interesting to see what they do about that. Yeah, exactly. And this is something that bears repeating, which is why Francis is one of our most frequent guests, our world editor at Breitbart News. Um, China compared the Pelosi visit to George Floyd's death. I, this is one of my favorite themes of the Biden presidency is by is using Black Lives Matter against the Biden administration. I, I enjoy I smile every time. And this is um, this is kind of inside baseball, but this was uh, Hua Chunying, who's the uh, the top spokesman at the Foreign Ministry, and I I love the way she does things. She is the the most belligerent um, person over there at the Chinese Foreign Ministry, and the way she just uh, creates these ham-fisted arguments that make no sense, but she does it in a way that makes it impossible for the American left to really respond. Um, her argument was that Nancy Pelosi visiting Taiwan was exactly the same as murdering George Floyd. Um, and she, she didn't elaborate. That was it. That was it. <laughs> like, mm, meeting yeah. the president of Taiwan Enough. is the same as George Floyd. Deal with it. And then she just got off the podium. <laughs> it's truly incredible. Good enough for me. You know, it, it is, I was. Th I think about this in so many different contexts, but if I wasn't lucky enough, Francis, to have uh, met Andrew Breitbart and have had so many other great mentors and friends over the years that have given me a fair bit of success. And I, I was uh, uh, nowhere in my career. I would, I think I would definitely try to reinvent myself as some sort of a troll where I would, uh, I would say stuff like this and see how much media attention I could get. I would be go on M MSNBC and just say, things like this and just say that what has gone on is in Donald Trump's speech at CPAC was exactly like what happened to George Floyd when his <laughs> neck was knelt on. I mean, and just uh, people like it. Some people like that stuff. And the I Chinese bet you can be really, will hire you. <laughs> th they will hire me. And then eventually a year or two down the road, I'll say, oh yeah, it was all hoax. I was hoaxing guys the whole time. I'm actually right winger. It, it'd be so easy to do to reinvent yourself as a Huffington Post columnist right now and just write just standard woke platitudes. Um, but I love it. I really enjoy it. Um, okay. I want to check in on uh, Vladimir Zelensky. He took a break from his busy fashion photo shoot schedule last week to meet with Jessica Chastain, who's an actress. I, I think that seems really productive. Um, can you please update us on what's going on with him? Because he has invited Xi Jinping to rebuild Ukraine. Uh, you and John Hayward have reported brilliantly on this, noting that uh, Xi Jinping is funding the Russians' effort to destroy his country, and he's now inviting Xi Jinping to rebuild his country, uh, which is just shows you 
you the evil brilliance of the CCP. It also shows you that the, the uh, Zelensky's got some he's got some holes in his game. Let's just say. Yeah, um, I mean, I don't think it's the dumbest thing to do um, because Biden is president. And, and I think that the sure. um, 180 degree turn that Zelensky has taken on China is exclusively a Biden problem created by Biden. And, and I'll explain that. Um, last year, when the war hadn't escalated to where it was um, and the Trump era sanctions on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline were in place, um, Zelensky was pretty anti-China. He, he uh, sanctioned multiple Chinese companies and the Chinese government for trying to take over a Ukrainian defense contractor. Um, and, you know, how many countries of Ukraine's size do you know that are unilaterally sanctioning China? Like, that is just something that does not happen. So um, that was what Zelensky was doing before Biden lifted the sanctions on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline that directly led to Russia invading Ukraine. Um, and the, the second that Biden did this, Zelensky was in every newspaper yelling about what a horrible idea it was and that it was going to lead to war and that Biden wouldn't talk to him um, and demanding a meeting with Biden. And Biden, not only did Biden ignore him and not meet with him, Biden met with Putin. Biden went and, and met with Putin and had a, a meeting in, I think it was Switzerland or something, where the, the Russian foreign ministry said that, that the two leaders were cracking jokes. So that's what he did instead of meeting with Zelensky last year. So what happens immediately after that meeting, Zelensky says, I love the Belt and Road Initiative. I love China. We want investment in China. Um, and it's, it's clear that he just, that crushed anything close to trust that he had in the United States. And then the, the invasion happens, and now what is he going to do? He's going to turn to Biden? He's going to turn to Hunter Biden's dad for help on Ukraine? Of course not. So now he's asking the Chinese to invest money, and it's kind of the same thing that the Taliban is doing, where they're just saying, like, hey, you know, our country's in shambles because of war, and we need anyone who wants to throw money at us, we'll take the money. Um, so that's what Zelensky is doing. I think in the long term is extremely unwise because China is a colonial estate. It's just going to colonize anything that it invests money into. Um, but at the same time, if there's no leadership in the United States, I don't see who else Zelensky is supposed to turn to. Yeah, it's such a great point, and it also shows how the gap in American leadership has downstream consequences. I just do find it unbelievable that Xi Jinping's put himself in a position where he could fund the invasion of Ukraine and then make uh, potentially get control over Ukraine essentially via their you know debt trap scheme, whatever it is, Belt and Road, by rebuilding Ukraine, and they get rich in the process it just seems unbelievable they've worked this out and we just barely seem to care unless you're a breitbart reporter on our international bureau francis it seems like no one cares about this no, it's, it's really hard to get people to care because when, when you start talking about infrastructure investment through, you know, international contractors, like it, it sounds so boring when you put it yeah. that way. And I feel like that's something I'm really proud of at Breitbart that we do is we try to tell the stories in ways that are compelling because that's super important. This isn't, you know, 
foreign investment into blah blah blah. No, it's it's colonialism. It's China coming in and buying up countries and imposing its ideology. Um, And that framing is totally missing. And I think it is a deliberate way to get people to think it's too boring. We don't have to think about it. Um, When in fact, it's you know, it's the whole game. If the if Chinese colonialism wins um, everywhere else in the world, it's going to come here. And you know, we've already seen you know California delegations to China to talk about Belt and Road, uh, you know, investment. So it's not far-fetched to think that if they succeed in a place like Ukraine, if they colonize all of Africa, if they start colonizing parts of Latin America, which they they have, Cuba, which is 90 miles away, is a Belt and Road country, um, that that's not going to come here. That's clearly going to come here if we don't care. Um, The story of the weekend, which we're about to feature on the front page of Breitbart right now as we're having this conversation live is the Chinese state media is now citing Peter Schweitzer and Breitbart to attack Nancy Pelosi, uh, which is funny because if they were paying attention to us, they would know that I basically said nothing negative about her visit, uh, but it is they're now citing our reporting about her, uh, her corruption, I guess. Like, what's going on here, Francis? Yeah, um, so the the operating um, sort of assumption from the Chinese government is that Americans are can't think about politics in complex ways. So you're either everyone is either a good guy or a bad guy. Everything is either good or bad, and that's obviously right. not what reality is like. Of so they are trying to use Peter Schweitzer's amazing reporting from his book Red Handed, which shows that. Pelosi used to be a very hardcore anti-communist activist. Mm-hmm. I mean, she protested in Tiananmen Square against the Tiananmen Square massacre. Um, and then her husband started investing in uh, companies that played a role in the Chinese economy, and suddenly she got less and less vocal over time as his pockets started lining up. Um, so they used that basically to argue that um, Pelosi doesn't believe that Taiwan is a country, has no real interest in um, geopolitics, that she's just, you know, part of her. The entire point of the trip was self-aggrandizement, which is, you know, I don't think it's the entire point of the trip, but I also don't think that they're wrong that it was part of the trip, right? You know, she's closing out her career with, with a bang. Um, but they, they yeah. are trying to assume that if they cite us against Pelosi, that they can turn conservatives against Taiwan. And reality is far more complicated than that. She could simultaneously be corrupted the way that um, Schweitzer explains in his book and do something that is unquestionably morally good. Supporting Taiwan against communism is morally good. And those two things can coexist. So they're banking on us not being smart enough to understand that those two things can coexist. You know, it's sad, though, is that they are kind of right too often these days. And this is one of my top frustrations with our side, the conservative side, is that even we're getting a little too tribal. The left is way too tribal now, and we're falling victim to this to some degree as well. And life is just going to get very boring if you think everything just fits neatly in a doctrine or ideology. And uh, it's just not the reality. We would like for that to be the case. It just it just isn't a lot of the time. Um, Let me run one by you, which is an interesting one, Francis, that uh, John Leguizamo is very upset that James Franco is going to be playing Fidel Castro. Um, It seems like good casting from afar, but uh, he ain't Latino. John Leguizamo is one of the wokest guys in Hollywood. I think he's more famous being woke than for being an actor at this point. Um, even though I've seen him and stuff, I generally like him, but he's a, he's, I think he's de- definitely more famous for the woke stuff. Uh, um, what is this? And most importantly, is this project going to be, do we anticipate pro-communist or anti-communist? 
Um, well, first of all, you know, I loved Leguizamo in the Super Mario Brothers movie. She's <laughs> objectively one of the worst movies of all time. Um, so... And the, the second thing here is uh, Franco actually is Latino. He's of Portuguese descent. Um, Fidel uh-huh. Castro is from Galicia, which is directly to the north of Portugal. Um, wow. So it's, the, the casting, um, the, the head of casting for the movie actually said, like, we looked at, like, you know, ethnic and racial backgrounds of actors for this. And it turns out that James Franco, I mean, Franco is not an Anglo name, right? Um, that he actually was the closest fit. Um, and I'm actually excited for the casting because Fidel Castro's daughter, who is, the movie is about, apparently very enthusiastically approved of James Franco in the role. Um, and like I said, he's much more genetically close to Fidel Castro than John Leguizamo. Um, I love this story for a million reasons, the first one being forcing the left to acknowledge that uh, Fidel Castro was a white colonizer um, and that he was from a very wealthy landowning family that oppressed people in Santiago de Cuba. Um, they, you know, <laughs> casting someone they see as white in that role instead of casting, you know, some like woke, like more Hispanic to them, you know, more Latinx person um, really helps cement to the point here. Like Fidel Castro is part of a white elite that represses the majority, you know, black or mixed population of Cuba. So glad we're all on the same page now, you know, to the wow. left. So cool. <laughs> the the other thing about this is that uh, so the movie's about Alina Fernandez, who's Fidel Castro's daughter, um, the one of either eight, between eight and eleven kids. Um, Fidel Castro was a prolific uh, father, um, if, if absent, um, and she is one of the most high-profile dissidents in the Cuban uh, exile community. She was arrested, I think, something like eight times for trying to leave Cuba. Um, her father directly oppressed her, like arrested her for her political beliefs. Um, and she's been a hardcore presence in the exile community forever. Like she went to protests where, you know, normal Cubans were protesting against communism. So um, the fact that she has a role in this movie is very exciting to me because you know that she's not going to let it be a fluff film about communism in Cuba. Um, the only red flag I see here is that the screenwriter wrote The Motorcycle Diaries, which is a communist ah, propaganda film about Che Guevara, right. who's a mass murderer. Um, but other that, than that's that, that's a big you red know, flag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pun intended, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting. And, you know, after see, like James Franco is a good actor. I'm, I'm curious to see what he does with it. As long as he doesn't do a ridiculous accent, I think we'd be good. Yeah, I, he is pretty good. And it's nice to see him uncanceled. That's good. Even though he doesn't seem like a good guy. I'm just kind of over the canceling everyone. Better guy everything. than Fidel Castro. Uh, that's, that is a great point. That is a great point. So yeah, let's see how it goes. And, um, um, that was a much more interesting report than I was anticipating, which is why we call on you so often, Francis. Appreciate it. (laughs) Thanks so much. Thank you very much, producer Zach and Greg Eben, who celebrated his 50th birthday over the weekend. Happy birthday to Greg, a true patriot who makes this show possible, really. We owe him so much. And Robert Marlowe helps me pick topics. And all of you who tell 10,000 friends and family members about us, we can't thank you enough. We'll talk to you tomorrow. And I won't.